Good morning. Welcome. So glad that you came to join us this morning and for our time of worship. And I want to take this moment and welcome everybody who's watching online. I know we've got people literally watching all over the world. And I just want to say thank you for worshiping with us this morning. Um, didn't Pastor Phil do an amazing job? He really did. So what I want you to know is that um, he wrote that song. And uh, so I want you to know that the first time I heard that, in fact, I heard that song even before um, God brought him here. And I love that song. And so I just need to confess to you this morning that when I'm driving my truck and I'm playing that song, I'm Pastor Phil. <laughs> and now, I, I can't guarantee that my voice sounds exactly like that, but I think it does. So anyway, but um, thank you for that. And there's a reason why we had him sing that song is because we're going to sing that together at the end of this service. So we're in a series right now called So Much More, and we're about done. We have this week, and then we have next week, and then we're going to go into our Thanksgiving series, and then Advent. Where is the time going, right? But I want you to know that today's message, not because I'm delivering it, but because it's God's Word, is a message that could literally change your life. And so my prayer is that your heart this morning would be in a place where you could receive it. I've had an opportunity to live through it all week long, and I've just really enjoyed it, but I also know that there's a battle raging because the evil one does not want you to hear this message, okay? So, would you just bow your heads with me this morning? And I just want to open with just a brief prayer, okay? Father, you are God, and you are over all things, and all things are under your control. Today, as you speak to us through your word, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable before you, my Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. So do you remember where it was that Jesus had the meeting with the Samaritan woman? Remember where that was? It's at the well, right? But it's not just any well, it's Jacob's well. This is a historical landmark. And it's a place that is respected by all people. Have you ever wondered why it is that God chose this place for his meeting? Now, you know by now that everything that Jesus did, he did according to the will of his Father, right? How many times have we heard in the Bible where Jesus said, it's not my time, or I only do what my Father instructs me to do, and I want you to understand that the timing of this meeting is no more important than the place of this meeting. And the reason? Because God the Father has arranged it all. And if God arranged it, there must be a reason. Now, I know what you're thinking. I know, Pastor Bob, you told us that this was a historical landmark. This is Jacob's well. In fact, 100 yards to the northwest is, this, is the grave of Joseph, right? But there's more. You see, the Samaritans 
held Jacob in very high esteem. They respected Jacob. And they were privileged to know that his well was in their land. And you know what? We know the Jews held Jacob in high esteem because he's the grandson of the father of Judaism, right? Do you understand what I'm getting at? The reason that God had his son Jesus meet this Samaritan woman at Jacob's well was because it was common ground. It was common ground. Jesus brings this woman to the well. They meet and they have a conversation. And what happens out of that conversation? Remember, Jesus woos her towards the kingdom of God, right? But I also want you to be remind you of what I told you the very first week. Remember the very first week I shared with you that in this series, we were going to witness, learn how to witness. We were going to learn how to initiate a conversation between us and people who don't think, look, act, or believe like we do. And the very first thing that Jesus teaches us about that is that we must meet them on common ground. So let's take our election that's coming up. And let's look at the people that are in this room and those who are watching online. Or let's think about those people who don't know who Jesus is. Or let's think about those people that may not look or act or believe like we do. Jesus gives us the example that when we witness to one another, we must meet them on common ground, and then, and only then, can we begin to have a conversation. You know what the conversation is about that Jesus talks to the woman about? It's worship. Now, I know one of the things you're probably asking is, why in the world would Jesus travel all this distance to meet this woman in a foreign land? A woman who is, doesn't have the best reputation. Why would he meet her there for the purpose of worship? And here's the answer. And it's not just for the woman, it's for all of us. You see, Jesus knows. He knows that a believer who is truly a true worshiper is a threat to the kingdom of darkness. I want to say that again. Jesus knows that a believer who is a true worshiper is a threat to the kingdom of darkness. And so my question for you today is this. Are you a true worshiper? Stand with me out of respect for God's word. And we're going to read this together. It's on the screen behind me. And I took it from the message, okay? 
So it's from John chapter 4, and it's verses 22, or 23 and 24, and they're going to appear. Here we go. Ready? Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you Samaritans will worship the Father neither here at this mountain nor there in Jerusalem. You worship guessing the dark. We Jews worship in the clear light of day. God's way of salvation is made available through the Jews. But the time is coming. It has, in fact, come when what you're called will not matter and where you go to worship will not matter. It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for. Those who simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is sheer being itself, spirit. Those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. This is God's word for God's people. Let's pray together. Father, may a heart of worship be birthed in me today. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. You may be seated. One of the things that we have learned about Jesus is that he is the master conversationalist. Would you agree? I mean, it doesn't matter if he's talking to Nicodemus as he was in chapter three, or he's talking to the Samaritan woman. He is a master conversationalist. He directs the conversation so that he can always accomplish his purpose. And today, what we're going to see is how he proves to us that he is a master conversationalist in the way he handles the very delicate matter of this woman in her life, and that is her marital situation. Now, last week, Pastor Justin talked to you about grace and that we must have grace and we must have truth. We know that you can't have one without the other and you have to have a balance of grace and truth and we're gonna see what that looks like in Jesus' conversation today. But from what we've learned in the last couple of weeks, we know that Jesus has shown this woman amazing grace, has he not? And what is the result of this amazing grace? The woman drops her guard, doesn't she? Did you notice that? She drops her guard. All of a sudden, she has this confidence in Jesus. She sees him as a safe place. And she's willing to have a conversation with him that she never in her wildest dreams believed that she would have. You see, my friends, that's what grace does. Grace opens doors. And whenever you administer to grace people, when they see you and they feel that grace, they are attracted to you. And so as Jesus demonstrates this grace, we need to ask ourselves a question, why is he doing this? And here's the reason. He wants to accomplish his purpose. And his purpose is, is that he must bring truth. Now, why is Jesus here at this meeting with this woman? And the answer is redemption, right? Everywhere Jesus went, he was about redeeming a lost world. And here he is with this woman, and his goal is to redeem this lost soul. But guess what? 
for that to happen, truth has to come out. In order for Jesus to redeem her, sin must be exposed. Now that leads us to our very first point. Worship cannot happen unless sin is addressed. We'll just let that sink in a little bit. Worship cannot happen unless sin is addressed. How do you know that, Pastor Bob? Because the Bible tells us, we just read it, that worship must be in spirit and in, what's the next word? Truth. Now, you know what Jesus does? Jesus, as this master surgeon now, he takes his scalpel and he begins to carve into this woman all the way deep down into her invisible world and he exposes her conscience. Watch and see if you can see how he does it. Look at this. He told her, go call your husband and come back. Do you see what Jesus did there? Did he bring about truth? Oh, yeah, he brought about truth. And he did it in a very nonchalant way. He said, oh, would you go call your husband? But what I want you to see here is what, how Jesus did it. Do you see what Jesus did? He invited her to come back. I, I can't believe that. I mean, here's Jesus, the Son of God, and he's talking with this woman who has a horrible reputation. He's not even supposed to be talking to a woman. In fact, I even found out another Jewish rule was that if a man and a woman were together, someone like Jesus and this woman, that, that Jesus had to stay 20 feet from her. But Jesus shows her amazing grace, and then he brings truth to her. And he says, go call your husband. But then he tells her this. He says, but here's what I want you to remember. I want you to come back and see me. You see, Jesus is saying, what you don't know is who I am yet. I'm the Son of God. And in fact, when you were born, I was there. I watched you being formed in your mother's womb. And what I want you to hear is this, you matter to me. You matter to my Father in heaven. And so, yeah, go call your husband, but please come back. I want to continue this conversation. Now watch what happens. I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite, there it is, true. Have you noticed in your life that whenever sin is exposed, truth comes about, how uncomfortable it feels? It's very uncomfortable, isn't it? So I want you to think about how would this woman feel? Here's this woman, she's talking with this man, and now she realizes something. She realizes, I'm just not talking to any normal Joe. There's something about this guy. In fact, she calls him what? A prophet, right? Now, do you know in the Old Testament how they used to tell if somebody was a prophet? The prophet would say something, then the people would wait, and if it came about, then they knew they were a prophet. 
Jesus speaks to her something that she didn't know he knew about, but what did he speak? He spoke truth. That's why she thinks he's a prophet. Do you understand that? All right, now, I want you to put yourself in that woman's place. Jesus just exposed you. There's no one else around. All Jesus said was, yeah, you're right, and let me tell you how right you are. You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with, well, I know he's not your husband only. Now, here's what I would be thinking. In that case, I would be thinking, what else does this dude know about me? <laughs> right? But she knows this is not just any ordinary person. So what does she do? She changes the subject. Boy, that's the oldest diversionary tactic known to man, is it not? I mean, you can tell she feels a little bit uncomfortable. He's just exposed her. <clears throat> well, let's talk about something else. Where did she learn that from? Well, let's think about this. Do you remember in the garden? When the Lord came in the garden, he was walking in the cool of the day. Hey, Adam, where are you, buddy? Oh, I'm hiding. Why are you hiding? Well, <laughs> I don't have any clothes on. Remember what God said to him? Who told you that you were naked? Remember what Adam said? The woman. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to point at you, wife. I'm sorry. <laughs> the woman. Okay? The woman, the one you gave to me. And what did God do? God went to the woman then, and what did she do? She pointed at the serpent. Peter did that when he was standing in John 21 with Jesus, didn't he? All by himself? Well, what about that guy? We've all done this, and isn't it amazing? Isn't it interesting to know that this woman even did it with the Son of God? All right, now, she brings up a very interesting subject. What she does now is she says to Jesus, you know, there's a controversy between you and me, between your people and my people, and the controversy is about where we're supposed to worship. You see, we Samaritans believe that we're supposed to worship at Mount Gerizim, but you Jews believe that you're supposed to worship at Jerusalem. That's the controversy, the place of worship. And so you know what Jesus does? He just says, okay, you want to go down that road? Okay, I'll follow. But really, Jesus isn't following. Jesus is leading her down this conversation path. And Jesus says, okay, let's set the record straight. And here he goes. It's not about where you worship. It's about how you worship. Look what the Bible says here. Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you Samaritans will worship the Father neither here at this mountain nor there in Jerusalem. You worship guessing in the dark. We Jews worship in the clear light of day. God's way of salvation is made available through the Jews. But the time is coming. It has, in fact, come. When you, when what you're called will not matter and where you go to worship will not matter. It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is sheer being itself, spirit. Those who worship him do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. You see, what Jesus just did is Jesus just explained to her, it's not about where you worship, it's about 
authentic worship. In other words, he's getting ready to talk about the kind of worship that God is looking for. All right, before we walk down that path, let's look at some common misnomers about worship, okay? Worship is not. Here's the first one. Did you know you can go to church, be moved to tears, and not worship? Here's something else you need to know. You can sing in the choir, you can usher, you can greet, and not experience worship. Here's the next one, and there's two of them in this one. You can sing the songs and not worship. If you don't know who God really is, guess what? You can't worship. And one more. Worship doesn't have to be in a building. Now, here's what I want you to understand. The question that I think that we need to ask ourselves is this is, okay, Pastor Bob, so why is God so concerned about our worship? Here's why. Listen very carefully. God is concerned about your worship because when you worship right, your life is right. (laughs) That's why choir and orchestra, what you do is so critical. We as a congregation, we watch you. And we learn to worship from watching you And this morning, boy, you could tell that there were many, all of the probably, who were deep in worship, right? But here's the thing that I want you to remember. We all worship something. We all worship something. And the reason is is because God created us to be beings of worship. Do you understand that? So now the question comes down to it's not just being authentic, it's about being authentic about who we worship. I brought something with me, a mirror, okay? And no, I didn't bring this with me because I wanted to look at myself. But here's the thing I want you to know, okay? How many of you have seen the movie, the Harry Potter movies? A few of you? All right, in the very first movie, you will remember that there's a mirror called Erised. Do you remember that? And what happened is that when Harry Potter came and he stood in front of this mirror and he looked in the mirror, do you remember what he saw? He saw his parents. Now you remember that Harry Potter lost his parents. They died when he was very young. But when he stood in front of the mirror, he saw his parents. He saw them enjoying one another. He saw the love that he shared with them. He saw them making memories and he was moved to tears. He was so moved that he told his friend to come and see. And his friend came in and he looked in there expecting to see Harry's parents, but he didn't see Harry's parents. You know what he saw? He saw himself as a great athlete, and he saw the crowds that were cheering for him, and they were, (sighs) what happened? Well, the professor came and told him and said, what you need to understand is that this mirror is called Erised, and what it shows you is your deepest desire of your heart. You know why it's called Erised? because that's the name desire backwards. Now here's what I want you to think about and remember about this. In your life, 
Whatever is your greatest desire in life is what you worship. You live for what is the Lord of your life. So the question is, so what are you living for? The Bible tells us that worship is to be done in spirit and in truth. But you know that you have truly worshiped when your life has been changed. Because whatever you worship will change your life. So, a couple weeks ago, Pastor George and Pastor Phil and I, we met and we had lunch and we were talking about this. And we were talking about what does it mean to worship in spirit and truth? Because that's what God tells us. If you want to have authentic worship, you need to worship in spirit and truth. Well, let's talk about what truth is. Truth is, remember, we've talked about this from the armor of God, truth is God's view on any subject. So when we are going to worship God in truth, what it means is we must see God who He is, and we must see ourselves for who we are. Now, I don't know about you, but you know what my problem is in life? And I'm just going to be really honest with you. I think I have too high a view of Bob and too low a view of God. Can anybody relate? I mean, I do. I have God in this box sometimes. But when we worship God in truth, what that means is that we must worship him in the way the Bible describes him. He is sovereign. He is Lord. He is creator. He is overall. He is omnipresent. He is omnipowerful. He is love. And he loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. That's who God is. And he is worthy of our worship. And you know who I am? The Bible tells me, and in sin did my mother conceive me. I remember as we were talking about this, Pastor Phil was mentioning that he goes, I, every time I come into God's presence, I'm forced to my knees. And you know what? I've seen Pastor Phil in second service up here on his knees leading in worship. And I remember this. I remember his, his, his grandmother came up to me and said to me, you know, that's not fake. That's real. And that's what worship does. When we worship God in truth, we know he is. And our response is, oh, woe is me. And that's what Jesus said to the woman. He said, I know everything about you and so much more. And I still love you. My dear friends in Christ, hear this. God knows everything about you. He knows everything you've done. He knows everything you will do. And it doesn't matter because he still loves you. Would you look to the person to your right and say, God loves me. And now took the person to your left and says, God loves me. Isn't that awesome? God knows all my words. He, he knows all my mistakes and he still loves me. If you want to see what worship looks like sometime, go to a prison worship service. You see, you think God listens to your voice. He doesn't listen to your voice. He listens to your heart. 
You know why he listens to your heart? Because the Bible tells us not only do we worship in truth, but we worship in spirit. And God is a spirit, so he intends for us to worship from our spirit. That's who we are in the depths of our being. When we worship God, we adore him, we praise him, we bring thanksgiving, we fall down before him because of who he is. He is worthy of that, and that's what worship is, is when we give ultimate, we give everything we have to him because he is worthy of worship. And so when I'm standing here and I am worshiping before God, I am looking at the words, I'm reading those words, and I'm singing from the very depths of my heart And I'm saying, God, I know who you are, and I know who I am, but I know that you love me even though you know who I am. And because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, I am dressed in cloths of righteousness, and so I stand before you because of what Jesus Christ did for me. There's something in me that just moves me to worship. Sometimes I'll cry. Sometimes I'll laugh. Sometimes I'll bow my head but I know I'm in worship because the Bible tells me that God is with me wherever I go. So worship just doesn't happen in church. It can happen in my truck. Me and Pastor Phil singing, let it be me. Now there's one other thing I want to show you, okay? You know when the first word worship is used in the Bible? It's in Genesis chapter 22. You remember that story, don't you? I'm sure glad that wasn't me. This is where God comes to test Abraham. Remember what he told him? I want you to take your son, your only son, and I want you to sacrifice him. Hey, dads, how would you feel if the Lord came and said that to you? You know what I'd do? I'd probably call about five other pastors. Hey, I'm not sure I heard the Lord right. God, am I sure that I heard you right? But God came to Abraham, that's what he told them to do. Okay, so now we pick up in verse 5, and look at what happens here. This is Abraham talking. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. You know what worship is here? Obedience. The Bible tells us that obedience is such a big deal to God that if you have an issue with somebody that you're supposed to leave your offering, and you're supposed to go make it right for them, and then you come and you worship. You see, Abraham, the very next day, he got up and he went to the mountain. I always wondered what that traveling, what that, what that little trip would have been like with Isaac, this young boy who's saying, hey, Dad, this is going to be fun. This is us men. We're going out. We're going to camp. This is us. Oh, by the way, Dad, you said we're going to have this big sacrifice. Where's the sacrifice? Oh, right? And Abraham just says, God will provide. Now, when we think about what it was that Abraham was thinking, we know what he was thinking, right? Because the book of Hebrews tells us. The book of Hebrews tells us that Abraham had reasoned in his heart that God had promised him that this great nation would come through his son, And if God wanted him to offer his son up as a sacrifice, you know what Abraham believed? Remember the Bible says that he believed he would raise him from the dead. There's one other thing I want to say about worship, and then I'm going to ask Pastor Phil to come up, and we're going to close with that song again. 
Do you remember it was about four or five days before Jesus was going to the cross? His heart's pretty heavy. And remember that he was having a meal with some of the Pharisees, and a woman came in, and she poured perfume all over him. Remember that? Remember what Judas said? He was angry, wasn't he? He was angry because his thinking was, is we could have used that whole year's worth of a salary, we could have used that to help poor people. That's not really what he was saying. What he really was saying was, man, we could have had that money ourselves. But why did she offer a sacrifice like that? You know why it was? Because the Bible tells us in just a couple chapters earlier that God raised her brother from the dead. You know what this means? Our worship is done in spirit and truth. Our worship requires obedience, but our also re- our worship should cost us something. Our worship involves a sacrifice. It's not natural to get up on a Sunday morning and come to church. It's not natural to have faith. It's not natural to give of our tithes and our offerings. It's not natural to pray to a God that we can't see. But when we come on Sunday morning, we give the sacrifice of our time. When we give our tithes and our offerings, we give the sacrifice of our finances, our, our, our finances. When we pray, we put ourselves to the side and we recognize that there's somebody else who comes first. All that to say is that when we bring a sacrifice to God, God always provides. God loves you so much. And he wants to change your life. And today his message with, for us is this, it begins with worship. It's gotta be done in spirit and truth. It's gotta be done the right way. It has to be done in obedience. Because worship is not something we came up with. Worship is God's idea. And worship should cost us something. So let's stand together. And let's worship God as Pastor Phil leads us in his song. Let it be me Giving you the honor that you're due
bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace, his strength, and his joy. Go into the world worshiping God. God bless you. We'll see you next week.